Well, welcome back to this special one-off Minutes from Latvia podcast, and I'm delighted to say that I have my most reliable uh, guest. He's the only person who's been back three times. In fact, he's the only person who's been back twice. It's Downis Hours. Welcome back, Downis. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, of course, the reason um, why I'm here for the third time is I always say yes, whereas uh, <laughs> others uh, you know, rejected you multiple times. And it, I should explain the uh, possibly strange acoustic that we're getting is we're not in the palatial offices of Latvian radio this time, but we've snuck into a meeting room in the basement of the Latvian National Library where the Riga conference is taking place. And uh, we've managed to find this quiet space. So it is possible, though, that we will be either interrupted or turfed out completely halfway through this podcast, in which case you can treat it as some sort of trendy new journalism, journalism verite. Um, The reason why I wanted to do this podcast was not only because my bosses told me that I had to, um, but because I've been contacted by quite a few people from embassies, uh, foreign news agencies and so on, saying they all want a bit of a heads up about the Latvian uh, parliamentary elections which are taking place on October the 6th. Now, I'm no great expert on this, um, but I'm slightly better informed than probably they are being outside Latvia. So I thought it might be useful if we just have a brief discussion about Uh, what to expect, uh, what's been happening during the campaign so far, and uh, take it from there. And of course, what everyone is really interested in, predictions as to what's going to happen after the vote and the future shape of, uh, of any government. So uh, if we could just begin with what's been your overall view of the, the campaign, who have been the, the sort of the stars, who have been the people to watch, and, and, and how has the whole thing been conducted? Well, I mean, I think clearly the uh, the stars of the campaign um, in terms of su- success um, are KPVLV, uh, who owns Latvia. Um, a couple of months ago, they were um, about 2%, 2.5% in the polls. And then sometime around midsummer, um, when there were some uh, interviews with the police, um, some uh, being detained overnight, um, and, and these kind of things, uh, basically when the party leaders were under investigation for some kind of irregularities in the party financing, um, their poll rating started to uh, shoot up. And uh, they've been rising quite steadily, I think, through the last months, although there's some evidence that there might be some weakening of the polls at the moment. Perhaps they've been in the front line, they've been visible for too long, um, there's been quite a few attacks on them, and maybe that has weakened the resolve of some of their voters. But I think they're the breakthrough party um, this time around. Um, and it's a little unexpected, uh, really, because maybe if we had been speaking six or seven months ago, we may have thought that maybe it would be uh, the liberal uh, development for, especially the movement for part of the party that would be breaking through. Perhaps the progressives as a, the first sort of genuinely social democratic uh, party um, in Latvia. Uh, maybe even a resurgence for uh, the grey-haired new unity. Uh, but I don't <laughs> think we would have expected KPVLV to have the surge that they've had. Well, they do seem to be a sort of living embodiment of the idea that there's no such thing as bad publicity, but particularly because 
they set themselves up as a, an overtly anti-establishment party and, and like to promote the message that we're the party they're trying to silence. And so if they do get then into some sort of legal trouble, whether it's you know, justified or not, they can uh, portray it as victimization by the powerful elite of the you know, real forces of grassroots Latvians trying to break through at last. Absolutely. And, of course, they are a pure populist party. Mm. Uh, many parties utilize populism. Uh, Latvia is very heavy. Uh, Latvia has a very heavy political presence of these kind of parties over the last quarter century. Uh, but usually that's come with something else. They've been sort of populist nationalists or uh, populist liberals even in the case of New Era uh, some 15, 16 years ago. But uh, what's interesting about KPVLV is that they are pure populists. They have simply positioned themselves together with the people against the establishment, meaning all parts of the establishment, not just the political establishment, but the economic establishment, the media, like your good self and your uh, employers, um, uh, also the, uh, let's say, the liberal magazines, investigative journalists, and so on. Um, and it's a strategy that has been very, very successful. And I think it's because they have stuck to it wholeheartedly. Well, we'll touch on KPVLV again when we, we'll, we'll make a little tour of the various parties and, and their offerings in a moment. But one thing that people seem to have been saying from the very beginning, even from before the actual campaigning started, was that this is going to be the dirtiest campaign we've ever seen, as if everyone is privy to some sort of information that is definitely gonna, gonna, going to come out and will be really filthy mudslinging of the worst kind. But it seems to me that while everyone has been repeating this over and over again, and this is the, the dirtiest campaign ever, it seems to me that it's not really. And certainly if we compare it to, say, a US election campaign or the Brexit campaign in the UK, uh, it doesn't seem to be that dirty to me. Is that? Am I being completely off base there? Yeah, I, I wouldn't use the word dirty either. I would say it's been a very emotional campaign and quite a polarizing campaign. Mm. Um, and especially since midsummer, we've seen a, a sort of heightening of emotions with, let's say, KPVLV on the one side and partially also um, Harmony Social Democracy together with them. And then let's say the um, uh, establishment on the other side. Again, meaning establishment very broadly, political, administrative, economic, and uh, media. Um, and there's been sort of a lot of sniping at each other, many accusations, mostly vague accusations at each other. Um, and uh, the rhetoric has been rising. Mm. Um, and at the same time, of course, we're exposed to this all the time because of the new technologies that our former president so elegantly discussed in the previous <laughs> uh, discussion here. Um, you know, an example of how uh, computing power and so on. I mean, a, a lot of this debate has taken place through Twitter, of course, mm. and, and, and through Facebook. And this is a place for instant emotions and also, of course, a way where you can reach your public straight away because you don't have the filter of Mike Collier writing a story on LSM or having to wait till 8.30 on Panorama to watch it in the evening or even waiting for a Delphi journalist to transcribe it and put it online. It appears straight away. Your followers see it and they either cheer for you, in some cases, you know, quite aggressively. Um, there's been quite a lot of trolling, I think, um, on, on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, or, of course, you have the opposition coming in against you. And so I think it's been quite, quite visible to us in this sense, especially people like you and I, Mike, who, of course, um, follow Twitter. 
um, and you're, you're a vociferous uh, tweeter, much more so uh, than me. But I think that if... As if a backhanded you, compliment, if ever there was one. <laughs> but, I mean, but, but if you sort of you know, follow this online environment, then you are probably, you know, you're probably more in the thick of it than somebody who doesn't have a Twitter account, who doesn't use social media, mm -hmm. and who relies on the traditional forms of uh, media. And then you will be, you know, not, not, not so affected by uh, what's going on. I think that's a very valid point, and it, it is uh, very easy, as, as you say, as a vociferous tweeter to fall into the idea that everyone else is equally plugged in and is equally watching the same feeds as you. Um, so, so if I might turn to traditional media, I mean, it's a couple of weeks since I've actually come into Riga from my uh, uh, countryside fastness, and I was really um, struck by the, not, not just the number of posters which are, uh, are out, election posters. Of course, it's not unexpected to see lots of election posters, but um, they actually seemed quite professionally done. I mean, the branding of the parties, in most cases, seemed to me to be a lot more professional than it has been in the last two or three elections. They had their slogans kind of worked out. I mean, it's, I listen to a lot of radio as well, and on the radio as well, you can kind of see the strategies being thought out in a way that Previously, it was just a case of sort of push the minister in front of the camera, uh, hope he says something not too dumb, and make sure you've got the number big on the, uh, on the election poster, the, the number of the, the party on, on the election list. I mean, do you think that there's been a sort of increase in quality as far as party promotion has been concerned? Yes, and I think that's inevitable, um, in a sense, because, I mean, PR as a whole, ad the advertising industry in Latvia, you know, develops every year, becomes more professional, more integrated into uh, global norms. So I would expect it to be a little bit better. But I would add that I think the green farmers are still quite uh, wonderfully, I mean, the, their advertisements still basically remind me of uh, Latvian zinjes, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, what's this sort of Latvian country music, uh, yeah. sort of the, the Latvian version of country and Western music. They're not quite as sharp in the way they present themselves as the progressives or as development or as uh, harmony. But of course, that could be very deliberate. They have a, they're targeting a very different kind of voter, a little older, a little more rural than these other parties are. Well, I would certainly agree with that, and I think it, it would be a conscious decision on, on their part. In the, I, I've always taken the view that the uh, Greens and Farmers Alliance, ZZS, they, I mean, they're not so much a political party as something like a, uh, a social club or an, a, a shared interest group. It's the sort of village green preservation society thing where people with a fairly loose uh, set of uh, shared interests get together, but they're not necessarily ideal, ideologically driven. And I think this is something which which has often been uh, when, when Latvians or, or foreign observers maybe are trying to explain Latvian politics to people outside, it's the non-ideological nature uh, that, that is hardest to communicate. But maybe that's changing with this election because we do seem to see parties like the progressives, for, for, for example, very clearly saying, look, we are a classic social democrat party in the European model. We're not just something which has coalesced, as it were, from an interest group. Do you think we are seeing more ideology now? 
We're definitely seeing a little bit more, but I mean, when it comes to the progressives, I mean, they, of course, they're, they're yet to prove themselves. They don't have much, um, too many deputy places in local government. I can't mm. tell you how many, but I think they won a couple um, uh, last year. Not in the major municipalities, but in some more rural ones. They're very unlikely to be elected uh, this time around uh, either. So they haven't really been tested. I mean, we don't know exactly how ideologically left-wing they are until they have to start making some decisions on how they're going to vote in Parliament, um, how they're going to compromise if they were to be in government, how would they compromise with their coalition partners on, on certain issues, especially, let's say, on redistributive issues, the traditional social democratic ones. So uh, I would be a little bit wary about this. I think it's quite easy to present yourself um, as belonging to a certain ideology, um, it's much more difficult to actually live that ideology in action. And, and alas, it looks like perhaps uh, we won't get to see the progressives in action in the next parliament. Well, before we uh, run through each party in turn and just give our best estimates of, as to what they represent and uh, what their chances are, uh, I think we should first declare any interest that we ourselves have. Um, now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm, I'm in the lucky position that I don't get a vote as a foreigner, so you know I can't actually uh, influence the election directly. Um, but I would say that I do know a few uh, members of the different parties, the parliamentarians and so on, um, but I don't think I'm beholden to any of them, although I, I, the one thing I would admit was that this summer uh, a, a National Alliance MP did stop at my house and bring me two bottles of lemonade, which we drank together, and by lemonade I genuinely mean lemonade, so that's my only uh, potential uh, bribe that's gone down. How about yourself? Anyone that you're too closely linked to in these elections? Well, I'm an independent. I've never been a member of a political party, either in the UK, um, in Germany, or in uh, Latvia. Um, unfortunately, I've been teaching for a long time at university now, so a lot of my former students are um, already deputies. They are campaigning, friends, acquaintances. Uh, every major political party has at least a couple of people that I know, usually very, very, very well. Um, I, I think the one thing that I obviously should mention is that my uh, uh, colleague uh, from the think tank uh, that we founded three, over three years ago, now Tzeptos Think Tank, Vyacheslav Dombrovskis, left the think tank in was it end of May, early June, uh, to join uh, Harmony, Social Democracy, uh, where he's a prime minister uh, candidate. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not linked to the political party. Our think tank is an independent uh, think tank. Uh, we're not aligned to any uh, political structure. But it is worth pointing out that um, Harmony is actually using quite uh, a lot of the, um, the material, the ideas that we generated uh, over the last couple of years um, in its party program. But actually not just Harmony. Uh, many of the ideas that we've cultivated, particularly on how to uh, make the IT sector more competitive, for example, um, has filtered into a number of uh, party programs. And I think, in a way, uh, this touches on what's one of the strengths of Latvian democracy, in a way, is that you're only ever a couple of connections away direct from direct contact, contact with the uh, sort of political class, as it were. So even though there are attempts to uh, portray a, a, an elite, you know, a high-powered elite which is running the country, uh, usually it's a friend of a friend or the, your neighbour is related to them or something like that, which wouldn't be the case, I think, in the, uh, for instance, the UK, 
elections. I don't know anyone who's in the UK Parliament, and I don't think I know anyone who knows anyone who's in the UK Parliament. Whereas here, you know, throw a rock and you'll hit someone who's politically connected. Well, especially upstairs in the uh, conference, Mike. I mean, uh, I mean, I saw you battling over a uh, pedox, I think, with a politician <laughs> earlier on. So, uh, yes, Latvia is a small place. Right, so let's get through uh, all 16 parties. So the election is taking place October the 16th. We have, uh, October the 6th, excuse me. We have 16 parties in the running. So I'll give you the name. Uh, maybe you could give me your general estimation of them. I'll do the same, and then we'll, we'll, we can sort of agree or disagree on what their chances are. I mean, I'm not asking for any specific seat count or anything, but where you think they're... Uh, they're electorate, if any, might come from. So we'll begin with number one, and um, we should point out that the lots are drawn effectively under the Latvian system. All the parties go into a, a sort of tombola and are drawn out. Everyone wants to get number one on the election list, and this time it went to Latvia's Russian Union, one of the more controversial parties in the running. So uh, the answer would tend to be, would seem to be in the question as to where do they draw their support from? But maybe that's a little bit... Uh, there's also a trap there in feeling that, oh, if you're ethnically Russian in Latvia, you're going to vote for Latvia's Russian Union, because that doesn't seem to be the case necessarily. Yes, it's actually a bit of a puzzle, because Latvia's Russian Union has been polling quite feebly in the last couple of months. And I would have expected it to do a little bit better because they are the party which is sort of the most hardline on defending the interests of Russian speakers um, in Latvia. So they've been the ones organizing marches um, against the reforms uh, to the um, uh, school education system, uh, which, which we'll see over the next couple of years, a gradual move to, to the, the overwhelming majority of all teaching in all schools, public schools in Latvia, being in Latvian. And uh, I gather that last week, um, a friend of mine was telling me, I, I actually missed this, they managed to mobilize something like 4,000 people in mm. Riga uh, to oppose this. And 4,000 people at any demonstration in Latvia is an enormous amount, uh, because this is not a place where it's very easy to get people on the streets. It's either too cold or it's a summer and everybody's in the countryside. So 4,000 is an impressive figure. Um, also, of course, uh, there have been moves to uh, get rid of um, uh, Russian language teaching from universities um, in Latvia. So they actually have quite a few things which they could use to mobilize their electorate. And it doesn't seem to be showing up in the uh, polls. Um, I have been told uh, by a pollster that um, it looks like there might be a small rise um, in uh, support for the Latvian Russian Union. Plus, it's one of those parties that you're a little embarrassed to admit that mm. you support. So they might be a little bit underrepresented in the polls. But certainly, um, it, to me, it seems they've been under, underperforming a little bit. And, it, it, and we should mention that they are the party which are usually characterized as being sort of the most strongly pro-Kremlin or, you know, pro-Putinist almost uh, via Tatiana Zhanaka, who was a, uh, ME, Latvian, a Latvian MEP who quit her position uh, in Brussels specifically to come and fight in the uh, Saima election campaign, though... Uh, Various court rulings have decided that um, she's not actually allowed to stand herself. So um, do you think they'll win some seats in Saima? Um, I don't think so, no. 
Okay, well, moving on to number two on the ballot papers will be the New Conservative Party. Um, they're quite an interesting proposition as well. They've fought in the uh, municipal elections and won a fair number of seats in Riga, largely on a sort of uh, anti-corruption ticket, it seems, and featuring several former anti-corruption officers among their ranks. What's your estimation of them? Well, they, of course, outperformed the polls in Riga quite significantly, although the, the, the polls had been done, I think, uh, the last major poll in Riga was done two months before the election, so they, they clearly they had a surge in the two months leading up to that. And I think that they're experiencing something similar um, at the moment. Uh, they've put together um, a pretty solid team. They have um, some uh, very uh, sort of convincing young uh, politicians they've attracted to their ranks, um, especially around the IT sector where they're particularly strong, uh, but also generally um, they have one of the better um, economic programs, I think, of uh, the parties that have been that the parties have uh, presented. You can see they've actually put some thought into it, they've made some calculations. Um, the weakness, of course, is that um, as a relatively small party with few frontline politicians, it looks like we might, if they are as successful as the polls show, we'll see a big exodus of their um, local government deputies in mm. Riga moving a few hundred meters over to the uh, parliament instead. And that will obviously weaken their presence in parliament uh, because all their frontline politicians essentially are in the Riga local authority at the moment. And uh, their leader, Yanis Bordan, sort of was a, well, he left the National Alliance uh, Party, and there seems to be quite a lot of bad blood between the two parties. I mean, as often happens between parties which are sort of vaguely similarly aligned in terms of they're both right of centre parties. Um, do you think there's going to be any sort of transfer of votes from National Alliance to the new Conservative Party? It certainly looks like it at the moment, um, that uh, at least a couple of the percentage points that they have in the polls appear to be National Alliance voters, because they share a uh, similar uh, strongly Latvian nationalist conservative view of the country, and they've also adopted a similar rhetoric when it comes to um, uh, same-sex uh, partnership rights and so on. So they are, they are, are a sort of genuine conservative uh, party in, in that respect. Right, moving on to number three, we have the little-known Ritzibus Party, or Action Party. Um, it's quite hard to find much out about them, although I, I should add at this point we do have questionnaires with all the parties appearing on LSM and we have roundups of the party programme. They strike me as another sort of populist party that hasn't quite defined what it's for other than being sort of fairly extreme and fairly conservative in most respects. Yes, you're right, Mike. Uh, to be honest, I'm quite amazed that they managed to rustle up the money for the deposits um, to take part in the um, election. They've been around uh, for a little while. They haven't performed very well in elections. And really, it's hard to see exactly what the purpose of the Ritzibus party is, uh, because it obviously won't win seats mm. in Parliament. Um, it, it doesn't have the financing necessary uh, to have a uh, strong presence in the media, um, to have posters on the streets, um, and so on. And nor does it have any charismatic uh, leaders. It's, it's really just a, a, a filler. But what it does have is one of these uh, curious uh, pro program points where they are pledged to getting rid of sanctions against Russia. And this seems to crop up among several of the... Uh, 
shall we say, small populist parties. This is a key element of their, of their offering. Do, I mean, does that have any traction with voters? No. Um, I think le- uh, it's simply an attempt to differentiate them from other political parties. But no, I mean, I don't think that the uh, getting rid of sanctions is something that will mobilize people in Latvia. Uh, okay, we'll move on to number four, which is the National Alliance. Uh, one of the, what we might call the big hitters, I mean, they're one of the uh, three parties in the current coalition. And in some ways, you would expect them to be doing really well, given that over the last four years, we've had, you know, various issues with Russia and uh, some sort of feel-good factor about patriotism in centenary year and so on as well. Um, how do you think they're going to do this time around? Well, I think that they will be elected to parliament. Uh, I think they have um, a reasonably strong core voter base. And over the last couple of years, they've also delivered to these uh, voters. So, for example, one of the priorities which they have had is uh, demographic policy. So um, uh, higher benefits uh, to uh, young parents uh, for each baby um, and things affiliated to to this. Uh, They've made it a priority. They've squeezed money out from the government budget, which is no easy thing these days because, (laughs) as you know, the government budget is pretty tight. Um, And they have these kind of things that they can actually show their voters. The problem that they have, perhaps, is that in previous years, they've been seen as a sort of usurper party themselves, especially when they first appeared on the field. Uh, There were these young, um, attractive, reasonably aggressive in words, that is, um, anti-elite nationalists. This was the Visu Latvia wing. The the Visu Latvia wing, which really drove them uh, um, uh, into uh, uh, parliament in 2010 and 11. And also in 14. And this usurper wing is looking a little tired now, um, obviously, because they've simply been in government for so long. So it's hard to be anti-establishment when you're part of the establishment. But again, I think they've delivered to their voters um, uh, on many of the promises that they've had, and I would expect them to uh, do okay in the election. Perhaps not as many seats as last time around, but they should do okay. Yeah, and having read all of the party programs myself, I thought theirs was one of the better ones uh, in terms of the way it was written, and it was written in quite a professional and detailed way with lots of figures, but it very clearly concentrated on the less extreme wing of the party, right? Because I think people need to understand that they're a very broad church in that they do go from sort of traditional conservatives, as we might say, to, to you know, hard right, a few hard right people as well. But uh, I thought maybe it was a smart move of them to concentrate on the, the the middle ground, as it were. Right, number five, we have uh, the progressives. It's a it's sort of high-risk name in a way, isn't it? It's sort of talking yourself up. Um, are they progressive, and what's their vision for Latvia? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think they are progressive. Um, they are unashamedly liberal um, in social policies, certainly, things like same-sex partnerships, same-sex agreements. Um, They are also uh, quite left-wing in terms of uh, being unashamedly redistributionist, uh, higher uh, taxes for higher earners, and so on. Um, And also, they do have a sort of moral stance in that they refuse Mm. to cooperate with other parties, which quite frankly weren't similar except for some sort of these social positions, but they didn't want to cooperate with them if they didn't sort of trust in the sources of the financing of the party. So they've taken a very principled stance. Their core hope is that they can get 2% 
of the vote, which will give them access to public financing for the next four years. And in that way, they can build up um, grassroots support um, and build up a party system. Um, it hasn't been done very often in Latvia, quite frankly. Uh, the National Alliance that we mentioned, the, uh, the youthful wing, the Visu Latvia, that's one of the rare examples of a grassroots movement in Latvia, which was slowly developed over the 21st century by Raivis uh, Cintars and a couple of the other leading people. I mean, they really grows up, rose up from the grassroots, developed a network, mobilized people, developed an ideology, and were elected to parliament and now have solidified themselves there. The progressives want to do that as well, but with a left-wing ideology. Well, let's see. Yeah, and I, I think that they have actually the other best written uh, party program of the ones that, that, that I've read. And as you say, it's quite refreshing that they're, they're saying, well, yes, we will tax you more, but we're going to uh, pr provide more services as well. And um, also this strategic move that you mentioned where they didn't get in bed with uh, Atisti by par um, kind of alliance uh, does give them a certain moral stance and I think I think maybe they're going to do a little bit better than people expect and certainly a lot of the should we say the the, the more left-wing Vienna Tiba vote which might disappear might go to them rather than to um, their sort of closest competitors but um, we, we shall see we shall see but it is quite refreshing in a way just to have a, a, an honestly left-wing party on the ballot for people to take a choose you know choose choose if they wish to number six Latvia's centrist party another very very little known uh, party which doesn't strike me as being very centrist at all um, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I have so little to say about the Latvian centrist party, which no, no offense to them. I'm, I'm sure they're a, a perfectly nice uh, group of uh, people. Um, but they've been invisible um, in this election. Unless you really, really try, unless you find those discussions where the parties polling, you know, below 2% in the polls take part in debates, Blinken, you'd miss them. Was it Latvia's centrist party who said that we should shoot uh, tax defaulters as well? I, I don't think it's in their program, but one of their, one of their uh, people may have let slip um, this uh, attitude. Yeah, it was, it, I, I think it was them. It was either them or the Action Party uh, in, in order to encourage reform in the health service. But which, again, uh, I don't think it was in a program. I think it was just a sort of... No, it was not in the program. It was on a, on a TV uh, interview, but um, a, a fairly interesting uh, policy stance there. Pour encourager les autres, as it were. Uh, we're moving on to another little-known... go to a public school? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm afraid I didn't. Amazed, but we discussed this last time around, I know. Number seven, Downis. Uh, it's the Scrabble players' favourite party, LSDSP, KDS, GKL. Could you give me... Uh, could you make a word from that Scrabble, please? Well, so we have the rump of the uh, Latvian Socialist uh, Democrat... Uh, Latvian Social Democratic uh, Party... Uh, which traces its roots back to the 1920s, uh, when there was a very large social democratic party in Latvia, um, which represented the, the, the left vote um, here, uh, but was typically ostracized from government uh, for reasons why harmony is, is, is similarly sort of pushed to one side. There was a fear they were too close, uh, you know, as lefties, they were a little bit too close to the Bolsheviks, too close to the uh, Soviets. Um, they had some success in the late 1990s. Uh, they had a mayor of Riga for a while, 
But really, they've been on the fringes ever since. Um, their leaders got caught up in all kinds of uh, corruption scandals, and also uh, when it came to policymaking, turned out they weren't very left-wing um, at all. The Christian Democrats, similarly, is a sort of renewed party, also from the 1920s, one of the main centrist parties, which was often in government coalitions. This one hasn't been so successful. And then the Gurts uh, Kalport Latvia, an honor to serve Latvia. We do oddly named political parties very well in <laughs> Latvia. So an honor to serve Latvia is a sort of national uh, sort of wing of the Gurts Kalport Riga, an honor to serve Riga, which was a political uh, vehicle um, for Although the vice I, mayor of Riga. One slight correction, I think even though their initials are GKL, Gurts Kalport Latvia, they're officially now known as uh, Gurts Kalport Musu Latvia because the defense ministry asked them to not use the well-known slogan to just sort of change it a bit. Okay, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you're right about that, yes. So, uh, but anyway, so they're, they're a very sort of narrow, basically, uh, Riga party, which has tried to expand across Latvia. Why, I'm not actually uh, sure. So they're, they're, they're very odd bed, bedfellows. I mean, LSDSP is ostensibly sort of uh, center-left. KDS is centrist. And Gortskalput Latvia, I think, is a pretty pro-business party. So you'd mm -hmm. sort of put them more to the right. And I think... That, yeah, the, the, the struggles they may have had to try to form some kind of common identity or structure are reflected in the poll numbers they have at the moment. Moving swiftly on, number eight, uh, for Latvia from the heart. Now, this was a party that uh, went into uh, Saima with a bullet at the last elections from absolutely nowhere. Since then, all except the party leader have left and defected to other parties, many of them standing for other parties this time around. What's that all about? Well, for a start, I, I, I've always thought it's more uh, from my heart for Latvia. But this is a debate I've had with many colleagues as well. It's one of those names which is very difficult to uh, translate because it's not exactly clear what they mean by it. It does sound like a Tina Turner album, it's a live a, album. It's wonderfully <laughs> insincere. It's one of my favorite uh, political uh, namings. Um, yes, well, I mean, this party today is essentially Inguna Sudraba, who at one point was a very popular state controller, so, you know, sort of chief audit lady um, uh, in Latvia, who was seen as a powerful independent figure holding the elites to account. She went into politics. Um, uh, as you recall, I think five years ago when they sort of founded the party, she fainted at the uh, opening, uh, the sort of first press conference they had, and really they haven't recovered from, from then. I mean, they did quite well winning, I think it was eight seats uh, in the last election four years ago. Um, they'll do lucky to uh, pass a 5% barrier this time round. The, the chief problem they have is that they didn't really achieve anything in the last parliament. They don't have anything they can say, you know, a, a, anything they can say that they've done, and there's no reason for voters to return to them. And it seems uh, quite noticeable that last time around, part of their success, I think, came from the fact that they had a huge advertising campaign, you know, particularly on billboards. Uh, where that money came from, I'm not entirely sure, though various people have uh, various theories. This time around, they're almost invisible, I think. I don't think I've seen a single uh, billboard. Well, I've seen one of a, with an extremely unattractive man on it. Um, there have been a couple of advertisements recently, including a, a little foray into Facebook. So you can find quite a professionally managed, uh, or rather a professionally directed uh, video clip where Inguna Sudraba uh, sort of addresses many of the questions put to her. 
Um, so they are sort of trying, Maybe they'll pull trying. it from the fire, yes. thanks to Facebook. Number nine, uh, one of the, certainly the parties which can consider itself to be either coming first or second, one would, one would assume, uh, Social Democratic Party Harmony, formerly known as Harmony and Harmony Centre. Uh, there's a certain amount of controversy as to how social democratic they really are, um, but they do seem to be running a very slick campaign, um, featuring Riga Mayor Niels Ushakovs quite a lot, even though he's not actually running in the election. So are they going to finally reach a sort of critical mass where it's impossible to keep them out of government anymore? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um... What they're trying to do in this election is something they've tried before, of course, which is reach out and try to uh, get Latvians to vote for them because they have very close to a monopoly on the Russian-speaking vote in Latvia. Um, the polls that we have seem to show about 90% approximately of Russian speakers voting for them and a very, very low percentage of ethnic Latvians. So this time around, um, they've tried to address this um, in two ways. Uh, number one is to develop the social democratic ideology a little bit more, although uh, if you look at the program, um, you know, at least some of the economic policies seem to be rather more liberal than social democratic. But that's uh, number one. And number two, of course, is attracting a whole host of uh, Latvian names uh, to the political party. And mm. Latvia has five electoral districts. In four of those electoral districts, the first name, so the sort of leader of the, uh, of the candidate list, is a Latvian. And in Riga, it's led by my former colleague, uh, Vyacheslav Dombrovskis, who, of course, spent many years in Latvian parties. He was one of the founders of a reform party. And then he was a government minister, I think, uh, uh, on the unity. Mm -hmm. He may have still been Reform Party at that time, but anyway, he was elected to the previous parliament on a, from the unity list. Um, so there's a clear attempt to try to reach out to uh, Latvian voters. Um, the polls haven't shown that they've had too much traction on this. I mean, the, the, the core of the party identity is still attracted to, uh, is still related rather to them being a party that represents the interests of Russian speakers in Latvia. And that does touch on one of the features, I think one of the most interesting features of this election is the number of candidates who previously stood for a different party. So you mentioned uh, Mr. Dombrovskis there, but there's also Henris Matis, who used to be the transport minister with um, Unity Party again, now with their former arch enemies um, at Harmony. So it does, I mean, and this is by no means uh, unusual. I mean, we have uh, another defectee from Unity Party, uh, Artis Pabri former foreign minister, now the prime ministerial candidate of the um, uh, four, well, and for development four. So it, it does seem that there is this great fluidity in, in who you can stand for here. Yeah, and of course, we, we could mention some other candidates like Daniels Pavjuts, mm -hmm. uh, who was a uh, reform party uh, minister of economics. I remember watching one of the um, candidate debates um, uh, not on LTV, sorry about that, uh, <laughs> but I think actually on Delphi online, uh, and where they had the eight uh, sort of biggest parties. And if I'm not mistaken, mm. four of those eight prime minister candidates, not so long, long ago, sort of five years ago, they all would have been sitting in the same uh, sort of party block. Yeah. So it's, uh, yes. Okay, well, which brings us nicely on to for development forward slash four exclamation mark a curiously named uh, party in English, although it makes a lot more sense in in, in Latvian. Uh, these are first timers, at least in this format, um, a sort of alliance of liberal business and liberal 
social types or what? Yeah, I mean, I would actually say that it's quite a typical and modern liberal party in that it has both wings of liberal represent, uh, liberalism represented, just as you said. There are the sort of laissez-faire economy types, and then you have the social liberals um, focusing on values. Of course, it's in a sense, it's a marriage of uh, convenience. Um, the one side of the party, the, uh, the movement for, uh, which is a sort of copycat, obviously, of the En Marche movement of uh, the current French uh, president, um, they see themselves as being sort of ideologically pure. Um, and uh, the other part of the party is uh, seen as having close links to uh, various different uh, businesses. I mean, it's, it's traditionally been very well funded. And this has caused some friction within the party. I mean, when the two formally came together to form an electoral coalition, some people left the party uh, mm. because they didn't want to be compromised and so on and so on. And it's, in, in some senses, it's maybe been an uncomfortable marriage because of this sort of money coming together with, with ideology. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think that they've actually put together a pretty good program. I don't think you see too much fraction amongst the party leaders. I think they get on quite well. They've, they've been quite consistent in the, uh, in the uh, ideas that they've put forward. Uh, but they, they, they've been struggling in the polls. Mm. Um, I think very simply, it's a very crowded marketplace that they're in, this sort of centrist Latvian voter. And... Um, Perhaps because they've been so outspoken about these values issues and Latvian society is quite conservative, perhaps that's something that scared away uh, many of the voters who have gone to sort of, you know, the, the, the new conservatives um, instead. And, and it's worth mentioning that they've not just scared away, you know, after a bright start and the, the, the four uh, side of them being formed by a breakaway from the Unity Party, who then promptly broke back to Unity afterwards. I mean, one of the more bizarre U-turns in recent uh, uh, Latvian political history, not that there's a shortage of them, so that you, there's a sort of a party left behind them when they've gone home, which then sort of grows and is now competing with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and personally, I just don't like the use of yellow so much in the advertising, <laughs> but that's just a personal uh, issue. Well, let's move on then to number 11. Um, thank you for staying with me this long, this, uh, but it, it is worthwhile. It's quite interesting. Latvia's Regional Alliance. Uh, now, last time around, they got railroaded into Saima on the back of the popularity of uh, Artus Kaiminch, who's now with uh, KPVLV and leading it in a similarly sort of demagogic style. Um, do they have any chance without him? Well, they have some chance because they've been quite visible, uh, 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 taking part in these debates with the other big parties. Uh, they have a... Uh, of, uh, quite a prominent leader, Edvard Smiltans, who's, I mean, you've probably seen him, he's really big. Uh, he's, I mean, he looks big in these debates. He's actually much taller and sort of, you know, bigger shoulders and so on than you expect. So maybe it's quite thrilling when the voters meet him. Um, the challenge that they have is uh, many voters might ask, well, what is the point of you? Uh, because they mirror many of the policies uh, that the green farmers have. Mm. I mean, the green farmers are essentially a party that represents uh, rural and small town and city interests. Um, and the regional alliance claims to do the same thing. Now, the green farmers are more likely to be elected. Uh, they will have more deputies in parliament. They uh, have the current prime minister. You know, what, what exactly is the point of a regional alliance? How does it differ? to the mm. green farmers, and I don't think they've really found a good answer for that. 
Yeah, you would assume that the the easiest route for them to take would be a sort of almost an anti-Riga route in that, you know, we're forgotten all the time. We're here to remind you that there's more to Latvia than just Riga. But they don't even really seem to bang that drum particularly. And also the, that's what the green farmers do. Mm. I mean, they are very, I mean, and, and they've done it in deeds, not just words. Um, if you look at how... Uh, European Union uh, cohesion funding has been uh, spent over the last couple of years. You can see that there's been a huge anti-Riga bias um, in, in, in the spending, and at least some of that is down to um, uh, the green farmers, you know, insisting that funds are redirected to uh, Latvia's regions and not just spent in Riga. Okay, so number 12 on the ballots will be another new arrival, the Latvian nationalists. Now, it seems to me that this is pure opportunism in that someone's noticed that nationalism is supposedly on the rise and nationalism is kind of cool, so we'll make a party called Latvian nationalists and everyone will vote for us. Is that me being too cynical? I don't know. I, I'm secretly thrilled by the Latvian <laughs> nationalists, but for a simple reason, uh, Mike. Um, obviously, they, they've had somebody delivering their little uh, advertising, little you know, these little note things, and somebody made a mistake and dropped something like 25 of them into my post box. <laughs> so I've been distributing them around the faculty, and I've been reading them in the car um, when I've been stuck in a, uh, a traffic jam. Uh, uh, I've been reading them at home before I go to bed, before I go to a lecture, and I'm very familiar with their program, and I think it's great <laughs> because they're offering everything under the sun um, and they have almost uh, no vision of actually how they're going to collect money into the government budget. But they have, I mean, they, they have this, I think it's called the 101 kilometer policy that anybody living more than 101 kilometers from Riga, which is that you, Mike? Uh, I'm uh, 87, so I'm... Okay, you don't follow... Well, you might, you might want to move a little bit then, <laughs> because everybody living more than 101 kilometers uh, from Riga uh, would uh, not have to pay uh, social tax. Um, they would pay a lower rate of VAT, I think 5% VAT on uh, clothes and food, and so on and so on. Um, I mean, imagine trying to introduce something like that. It's, mm. I mean, it's just crazy. And the program is full of these kind of things. So they've actually been really creative um, in uh, trying to reach out for voters. Um, but um, yes, they uh, stand little chance, I think, of passing the 5% barrier. Well, speaking about being creative, I feel that I've been subjected to the longest-running political ad campaign possibly in history, and that on the, the road out towards my house, when I have to drive through Sigalda, there's a poster featuring the party leader, Andris Rubins, which for years has been there, and it says, never give up, never give up. And then when the uh, party election season came along, the poster suddenly changed to the same photo of him but with the Latvian nationalists in the background and I still see the slogan in my mind never give up he's not giving up to give him his, his due but um, I think they'll be doing well to win any seats yeah I mean I, I think the mistake they made was dropping all their flyers into my post box so I mean they have been able to reach more people Number 13, Lucky 13, is a party which has not exhibited a great deal of luck over the last four years, um, have gone from flying high to lying low. New, unit, new improved uh, Unity, formerly known as Unity. It's, it's quite hard to remember that like three years ago, they were just r running everything. Everything was fine. And now it's a big question as to whether they're actually going to get into Saima at all. What happened? Um, in, uh, infighting, 
basically. Um, new Unity was, or rather Unity as it was <laughs> then, was of course a coming together of many different political parties, of many different stripes, some pretending to be social democratic, others liberal, others conservative, some more nationalist, some more sort of European looking. And um, they just cracked. Um, after the last election, they did very well. They were elected to parliament. They had, I think, uh, was it the uh, second or the, th I think the it's third biggest. Uh, second, I think. Was it? Yeah. We should really do our homework. I think it was 24 these, they had. Yeah, but, uh, anyway, the second or the third biggest uh, fraction um, in, in the parliament. And then the cracks started mm. um, appearing um, when they, when they, when they um, had to start making decisions, when they were making ministerial appointments, I remember. There was a, a fight over you know, who would be the education minister and so on between the different wings of the party. Um, and it just started all falling apart. Now, I mean, they have remade themselves in a sense. I mean, they changed their name, although I, I think it's abysmal. Um, yeah, I mean, new unity does bear a striking resemblance to old unity. I, I mean, I, I find it abysmal that you think you can change people's opinions just by calling yourself new. And especially when after they were renamed, again in my, my post box, uh, I got a little uh, uh, newspaper from them, and on the front page, you know, broadly, there's this big sign, New Unity, and then four grey-haired people who were the party leaders. <laughs> and this was just, but it was just, I mean, it's a basic contradiction. I, I quickly sort of Googled to see what New Labour did after their rebranding. And, of course, they had a thrusting, saucy young Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, you know, dark hair, looking youngish, enthusiastic. And the Unity guys just, just, just don't do it. I mean, maybe they should have dyed Krishan's cutting hair. I mean, he's still a young guy. Uh, that would make him, you know, perhaps better fit this new image. Mm. But anyway, regardless of the image of a grey hair, which I now regret talking about so much, <laughs> um, uh, but I think they've actually managed to coalesce around a core. Um, they, they have this image of technocratic competence, which in a sense is symbolized by Arvil Asheradens, who is a minister who just puts his head down and, and, and gets on with it. Um, his problem, of course, is that he's been caught up in this OIC scandal, and it's certainly not a scandal... Of to do with uh, electricity uh, uh, tariffs and so on. Exactly. Latvia having overly high tariffs because of the way in which um, uh, licenses were granted to uh, sort of environmentally clean manufacturers, or manufacturers of energy, um, and it's hit Latvian businesses particularly hard. Uh, and so he's had to oversee this. But really, it's, it, it's a party... Um, which, which, which I think will we'll, we'll see a little bit of a surge over the, the, the final days because what they offer is some kind of quiet, pragmatic, technocratic competence. So as other political parties feud, as new players appear and so on, they essentially present themselves as the adults in the room. And there is some uh, truth to this. So, I mean, of course they are battling to pass a 5% barrier. They're clearly not going to be the uh, party that they were, but I think that they stand a reasonable chance of passing that 5%. But uh, I, I imagine they won't, um, well, it seems fairly clear they won't get the number of seats that they had before, so it might be interesting to see a certain redistribution of talent after the election with ministers and high-profile members maybe going to other parties, but uh, that would be something to look for in the, in the medium term, I think. Uh, moving on to number 14, we're nearly there, don't worry, stick with it. Uh, for an alternative, um, I think I may have done a disservice earlier on by... Um, attributing the uh, firing squad policy to some of the other parties. It might be them instead, but um, another populist uh, party who wants to cancel sanctions, basically. Is that it? Uh, that's about it. I mean, I don't really have much to um, say about them. They're another 
um, shall we say, a, a party that hasn't had the financial resources, hasn't had the dynamic members that would be ready to go on the streets wearing T-shirts and so on, uh, ready to advertise them. Um, it's another party that you could ask the question, you know, what exactly are they for? I mean, what is it that they hope to achieve mm -hmm. in this election? And it's not really clear because they certainly haven't managed to put their ideas into the mainstream. They haven't managed to put them onto the uh, uh, discussion table. And uh, this, the sort of surfeit of these tiny parties which seem to be made up of you know three people sitting around a table always makes me regret the lack of comedy candidates in Latvian elections as well because I think a Lord Buckethead for instance would would do really well here and would probably win a few seats but maybe that's something to think about for four years time um, a comedy party just to you know provide a bit of entertainment. Well, I mean, as a pedant, of course, I, I point out uh, that I mean that only really works in the British system. Uh, <laughs> but but really, uh, but what you point to, if we can quickly move move away from looking just at the parties, I mean, it's it's one of the fundamental weaknesses of the Latvian party system is that there are so many parties, and the reason there are so many, as I think we've discussed before, is that it's just so easy to set up a party. You only need two hundred people. Hmm. Um, in Lithuania, it's a couple of thousand now. In Estonia, it was a thousand. It's now gone down to five hundred. But of course, Estonia is a smaller country. Um, it's, it's just simply too easy to set up a political party in Latvia. And if we want to toughen up the uh, political system, make our parties a little bit more rigorous, uh, then we should, uh, you know, you know, set this barrier higher. And if there is actually a demand for a, for, for a political party, if there is a niche that's missing, then those parties should have no problem finding the, the minimum membership that they need to, in order to be created. Or at least that's the case in Estonia and Lithuania. Number 15 on the uh, ballot papers, we've already talked about them a bit at the beginning, so we won't uh, dedicate too much time to them now, but KPVLV, um, the polls are suggesting that they're going to do quite well and win a handful of seats and conceivably could end up sort of holding the balance of power because it, it often seems to be the party that's kind of in third place that in some ways uh, is more powerful than the party in second place in that they tend to hold that golden ticket. Do you think that's going to happen with KPLV and if so, which way will they go? Well, I think KPVLV will do quite well. Exactly how well it is difficult to predict because the polls show very different figures. I mean, they seem to be in a uh, strong third place. In some polls, they've been in second place. Now, of course, there's differences in the uh, methodology used between telephone, internet, and face-to-face -face polling. But nevertheless, there's been a, you know, a fair bit of change here. So whether they hold the golden ticket or not, Possibly, they might do. But what they have done is uh, run, I think, quite a professional campaign. Now, in a sense, that might seem quite contradictory because they seem, seem quite madcap, quite confrontational, you know, angry uh, tweets that are being sent, Facebook messages made in the middle of the night. But they have actually managed to mobilize people. Um, I don't think there is any other p political party in Latvia that has quite as enthusiastic a membership. Uh, that has people ready to plaster their cars with the who owns the state or, or mm -hmm. the state begins with yourself, I think is the other logo yeah. they, they, they have. Um, they have their T-shirts, they have these video clips made. I mean, they have managed to uh, really excite uh, people. Many people, uh, many of these people are, are not the kind who have been actively participating in elections as participants or as voters um, in recent years. So, I mean, they've put some excitement into all this. One of their issues, of course, will be turnout, because quite a lot of their voters are young, and many of their voters are in uh, rural regions and also um, living in the UK and in Ireland. 
And that means there are certain challenges to getting to the polls. I mean, quite frankly, you just have further to go. So when our voters wake up on Saturday morning and you have a sort of half an hour's drive at, you know, British petrol prices to go to the nearest uh, voting place, you know, it's not quite as an easy a, a decision is. Uh, it's not quite as easy a decision as if you live in Riga, um, for example. So getting those people out to vote will be a challenge. But, I mean, at the moment, there's no reason to believe that uh, that won't happen. And as far as policies are concerned, I think they're sort of most eye-catching policy is this idea that we reduce the number of ministries from 13 to 6. I mean, is, is that just a sort of policy which you put on the paper because it's going to get everyone talking? You have no real intention of, or, or even realistic hope of implementing it? Well, in a coalition system in Latvia, it would be difficult to get that through. Because apart from any other reason, so let's say there are three or four parties forming a coalition, as is a norm in Latvia, and there's only six ministers, well, you're not really dividing the pie. Mm. So from a practical point of view, it's quite difficult to uh, realize. But it's actually kind of an interesting idea when you think about it. I mean, what they're essentially saying is that you need to have more of a sort of project management approach to government, that you have to find out what are the what are the problems, and then try to deal with those problems, and that this might produce better outcomes. So I, I think some of their ideas have been dismissed a little bit too easily because of this anti-establishment um, attitude that they have. Um, but there are a couple of things in their program which are actually quite quite interesting, um, quite revolutionary, and perhaps so revolutionary that they would be almost you know, impossible to actually put through in a coalition mm. system. And one thing I would say was that uh, work has taken me a, a, a lot around Latvia during the last two, three months, and I always make a, a, a note of everywhere I stopped, having a look at the local notice board, see what's going on. And it is the KPVLV public meetings which have been pinned on there, I think more than any others. All the others tend to be quite strong regionally, so you'll be down in Zemgal amongst the farmers and there'll be lots of you know ZZS things, or you'll be up in Vidzem and there'll be more uh, national alliance, say, uh, meetings. But there'll always be a KPVLV there, and it seems that you know the party leaders are actually getting out there on the stump and doing some face-to-face -face campaigning, which uh, is, is interesting in the age in which we're assuming that everything is being done by Twitter and online. Yeah, and, uh, and also if we look to the probably the most similar party to KPV in Europe is the Five Star Movement um, in Italy. Also, of course, with a, uh, a sort of a thespian, a comedian, yeah. uh, in their case, you know, leading the line. Um, and they've actually been around as a powerful force for almost 10 years now. So this idea that KPVLV might break up after the election might disappear, well, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, they are, you know, the model of party which they are sort of utilizing, building, um, is new to Latvia, but it's been quite successful elsewhere, and there's no reason to think that it'll sort of instantly break up after the election. And finally, number 16, ZZS, the Greens and Farmers Alliance of the incumbent Prime Minister Maris Kuczynskis. Um, it's quite interesting. I mean, again, I've already mentioned that I kind of view them as more of a sort of interest group than an uh, ideologically driven um, party. But I was listening to a radio advertisement yesterday, and uh, it was Maris Kuczynskis basically saying, hello, it's me, Maris Kuczynskis, Prime Minister. Uh, please allow us to carry on with our work. Uh, we're doing really well. And I know that on election day, you're going to vote for the right party. And at that point, I was like, 
Yeah, that's a really great advert. But then they said, remember, Greens and Farmers Alliance. And I thought, if he'd just left it where he says, I think I can trust you to vote for the right party, it would have been a brilliant advertisement. But they didn't quite have that confidence that people would, would vote the right way that was implied. Um, it seems almost that they have a sort of anti-campaign, in my view, in that things are going along quite well. The less we say, the less chance there is to rock the boat, uh, we'll put maybe Defence Minister Bergman is out front because he looks good and he looks strong and he gives a sort of message of strength. But apart from that, we're not really going to be terribly active. Again, am I doing them a disservice there? No, I think you're about right. Uh, Kuczynskis is the type of uh, prime minister that has traditionally been very, very popular in Latvia, sort of uncharismatic, not perhaps the greatest public speaker around, uh, but somebody who you kind of trust to get on with it, somebody who gives very detailed, sometimes overly detailed answers to questions. So think Valdis Dombrovskis. Think many, many years ago, Guntars Krasts, who at the time was the most popular uh, prime minister Latvia had had, and also utterly uncharismatic. And so I think we're absolutely right to uh, play off, you know, Kuczynskis's sort of technocratic uh, competence. Uh, I'm a little confused by um, the finance minister campaigning from Riga, uh, because she's first on the list in Riga, and the green farmers have traditionally done very, very badly in Riga. Mm -hmm. So either they have a lot of competence uh, or, or a lot of faith in her ability to attract votes and get them through the 5% barrier, or um, it'll be a Donnellus uh, parliament uh, next time around. Uh, but Almost know, as if perhaps she fancies some other job. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Uh, but um, I, I think that uh, they will be well positioned to be the power brokers in the next parliament. I mean, they have this sort of partnership with the National Alliance, where they've said that, you know, we will, you know, we trust each other, you know, we'll be together. Unity in its election campaigning has been a little more distant because they're trying to get the kind of voters who are a little suspicious of these two, two political parties, you know, the, the, the kind who also development for and the progressives and so on are fighting for. But if unity were to fight past that 5% barrier, I think the three of them would cozy up pretty quickly and that that would form the core of the next government, or at least they would try to form the core of the next government. And if we look ahead to that, then I think that would probably be the kind of uh, coalition that the president, Bayonis, would be most comfortable in you know, sort of nominating um, uh, to, to, to form the next government. So what you're saying then is that the election, despite all of this colourful uh, rhetoric and the uh, election campaigns that we're seeing, probably not going to change all that much, do you think? Well, I think the likelihood is that there will be relatively little change, but there is a uh, possibility uh, because of a surge of KPVLV, uh, because uh, Harmony Center has a pretty tight grip um, on its uh, voters, you know that they could do well in the election and they could uh, confuse matters somewhat. And finally, we've, we've now talked for an hour, double the, uh, the, the length of time which I uh, booked for you, so thank you very much for sticking with me, but I'm sure you'll agree Latvian politics is fascinating. Um, one thing to look out for, either a party or a personality or a trend in this election, what would it be? Oh, God, uh, that's a trick question you hadn't warned me about <laughs> uh, at all. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I can't really look much further than KPVLV, um, and in fact in their prime minister candidate, because we, of course, knew all about Artus Kaimings and, and how sort of charismatic he is in front of a camera, uh, but Aldis Gorbzams has proved himself to be a very straight-talking, 
uh, party leader, somebody who sort of looks into the camera and tells people how it is. And I think he's been very, very convincing for his uh, voters, and that's why there's been such a sharp reaction against him from, let's say, the more mainstream uh, political parties and, uh, and the media who seem to be sort of scared by this approach. I'm going to slightly disagree with you there in that I, I don't think he represents that at all. He strikes me as a man who's just a little bit too twitchy. But um, as I say, I don't get a vote. Um, thank you very much for joining me for an hour. Um, we'll maybe do one after the election, slightly shorter, and we can see if we make complete fools of ourselves or if we can give any further elucidation and uh, illumination to what's uh, to come in the shape of the next coalition. So thank you very much, Downis. Thank you, Mike.